Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. If you'll stand with me tonight, turn to the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, chapter number 24. Chapter number 24. Amen. Good to have Jennifer with us tonight. Amen. And Michael Hurst, glad to see him back again this evening. And uh, amen. one of these days we're going to have everybody well at the same time. And we're all going to show up to church. And we're like, hey, how you doing? Amen. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Amen. Genesis chapter 24. It's a lengthy chapter. A lengthy chapter. I want to go to verse number 57 tonight. A lengthy chapter. I'll admit to you as I've been putting this together that I really don't know who this is for. And uh, there are times that that does happen. But I also know that our audience goes beyond this four walls to an audience of, of the podcast world which seems to be just growing all the time. I got on there the other day because I don't really take care of that anymore. Brother Alex Mason does. God bless him. And uh, RSS feeds are people that subscribe to, per se, uh, uh, the whole uh, First Apostolic Church or even it would be just one podcast out of those. We already went over the one million mark. And uh, every day... Every day there are people that's getting updates of in the thousands that that little number stays up there of the thousands. And so I know there's an audience beyond this audience. That's not to exclude you by no means, but that's to cause our thinking to go beyond just us. And so whoever this may touch it, it could be uh, for someone sitting here in the sound of my voice tonight. Amen. That I'm just unaware of, you know, the lady came to the prophet whenever her son had died and she grabs hold of his feet. She, she states her, her case and he says sorry I didn't even know this was you know he was a prophet and the Lord showed him several things but there was something there that he didn't even see so um, I by no means say that I can discern all things or know all things that is a grand overstatement uh, but uh, we'll see what the Lord will do with this tonight Genesis 24 in verse 57 starting the Bible says and we're, and this is this is one of those times where you're, I know I'm talking a lot right it's part of my living uh, we're kind of jumping right in the middle of a story. The whole the whole chapter of 24 is like just one long story. I mean, there's 67 verses in it. So it's one long story. So we're kind of like jumping in the story. And so I'm going to do you a favor tonight and not tell the whole story. But try to jump in the middle of the story and see if we can't, you know, extract something from it. So just keep that in mind. It would be a good homework. Go home and read 24. Verse 57 again. And they said... The they is the brother and the mother of Rebekah. And they said, we will call the damsel, speaking of Rebekah, and inquire at her mouth. They are saying this to a servant of Abraham. And they called Rebekah and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. It's not asking her about going with her husband. That's what the servant 
is on this journey and this mission for securing a wife for his master, Isaac. So when they're asking her, will you go with this man? They're asking her, will you go with the servant that is securing the bride? That's qualifying the bride. That's going to bring the bride to the groom. And she says, I will go. So my question to you tonight as my title is this. Will you go with this man? Will you go with this man? Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, I come to you, Jesus. God, I pray, Lord, you purpose, God, whatever, Lord, your desire and your intent, God, is for this message. God, Lord Jesus, in the lives of those that are here in the lives, Lord, of the greater God podcast audience, Lord Jesus, you know and aware of. God, I'm going to preach, Lord Jesus, tonight, God, your word. God, as though that person is sitting right here, and they may be, but God, I'm going to, Lord, minister Jesus, God, as though they're here before me tonight, God, and try to convey something, Lord, through your word, God, that we can wrap our arms around and we can pull in close, Lord Jesus, to ourselves. God, I thank you and I praise you, Lord, for the spirit of worship, God, that's been in this place, praise and adoration that's taken place in this house. I pray, God, for its continuance, Lord Jesus, in the ministry of the word of the Lord, in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. God bless you tonight. You may be seated in Jesus' name. My question then this evening is that you must be pondering is will you go with this man? In Genesis, this first book of the Bible, this chapter number 24 is quite a lengthy chapter. As I said, it contains some 67 verses in it. But the primary focus, the primary focus of this entire chapter is one, and that is to find a bride for Isaac. Abraham, the Bible describes as being old of age. He has brought his eldest servant to him, and he is commissioning that eldest servant to find a bride for his son, Isaac. Isaac, as many of you may know, but Isaac is the only begotten son. The only begotten son of promise, might I add, of his blessed father, Abraham. And this is important for our journey tonight. In that respect alone of being the only begotten son of his father, he pictures then by that a, a, a New Testament type, if you will, of Jesus Christ, who was likewise the only begotten son of his father. So the primary character in Genesis 24 is not Abraham. The primary character of four focus for that matter is not even Isaac. But the storyline really traces the responsibility of this eldest servant that Abraham has brought in and given this commission to. The responsibilities of him finding a bride for Isaac, qualifying even that bride for Isaac, and leading ultimately that bride from where she is to where Isaac is at. See, there, there were in the Jewish cultures and courtships and weddings of these days the friend or sometimes even plural friends of the bridegroom which acted as liaisons between the bride 
and the groom. Ultimately, one of their responsibilities were guaranteeing the purity of the bride, the chastity, if you will, of the bride. These people that were known as friends or magistrates of a sort, they were from among the people, the Bible, the, the history says, culture says, and that it was their responsibility to care for the young virgins that were in the land. It was their business to see that all these young virgins in their purity, that that purity was maintained, that these young virgins were well educated and that they were ultimately well prepared for what was to come. And that was married life that they would have the knowledge and they would have all of the understanding of what was necessary, amen, to find or procure a good suitor, if you will, for their lives. It was these types of people, these friends, these magistrates that were over the virgin, virgins that weren't just even in Jewish society, but among various societies, amen, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so if Genesis 24 had its friend or if Genesis 24 had its eldest servant, then Esther chapter number two had its keeper of the women. The Bible says that King Ahasuerus reigned from India to Ethiopia. He had such a vast domain. He had over 127 provinces that he was responsible for, and yet his at that time supposed Queen Vashti at the moment in which he requested and commanded even that she would come into his presence the Bible says that Vashti refused on this occasion to keep the king's command and appear before him and those that he desired and so her response and we might even better call it her lack of response amen to come before the presence of the king then kept her from that day forward from ever being before the king again because of her refusal to come he says I, we don't have to worry about this you will no longer be queen and you don't have to ever worry about coming at my beg or command because you will not be allowed to come before me anymore and so it's from this point forward that the king and his servants and those people under his command sought for him a virgin they sought for him a woman that would come to be his queen he was looking for a virgin a pure woman that had never had a relationship with a man and so the servants then responsibility of king of Hazarus was this to seek for a bride this is in your bible in Esther that they would seek for a bride that would please that would please the king upon hearing this the bible says that Esther Amen, was brought then to the king's house. She was placed under the custody of Haggai, amen, who was the keeper of the women. The Bible says that Esther did everything that Haggai required of her. The Bible says that she pleased Haggai, this keeper of the women. And that was important because Haggai knew what pleased the king. She, she did whatever was at the requirement of Haggai, but Haggai had inside knowledge of what was pleasing the king. So if she was pleasing to Haggai, she was pleasing to the king. If she did that which was required of Haggai, she was doing that which was required of the king because Haggai knew what the king liked. Haggai had been in the presence of the king at different times. He understood what his responsibility was. Find somebody that can please the king. And so if you are obedient to Haggai, you're going to fit the bill then for the king. 
Someone say amen. She pleased Haggai, the Bible says. Amen. And as a result of it, Scripture says that he quickly gave unto her the things for her purification. Amen. Because all of the manner of six months that she would go through, the year that she would go through of purifying herself and putting oils on her body and fragrances on her body, all of this meant this, that whenever it came her turn and her chance to stand before the king, that she would stand head and shoulders among all the other women. She would stand out because of her purifications and listening to the voice of Haggai, which knew the wishes, if you will, of the king. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that Haggai, this, this keeper of the women, he preferred Esther than any of the others. He gave her the best of the house that was among women. Will you indulge me for a moment as we go to the scripture of Esther 2 and verse 13. The Bible says, Then thus came every maid unto the king. Whatsoever she desired was given her to go with her. There was all kinds of women that came for this, if you will, chance and opportunity to be queen. And as each one went, the Bible tells us in verse 13, each one took what she desired as she entered into the presence of the king out of the house of the women into the king's house. Look at verse 15. But when Esther, when her turn came, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle Mordecai, who had taken her for his daughter, was come to go into the king. The Bible says that she wasn't taking what she desired. She wasn't taking what she wanted. She wasn't taking what she required. But she required nothing but what Haggai, the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the women, appointed. And the Bible says that Esther obtained favor in the sight of all that looked upon her. Because she just took whatever the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the women required of her. Look at verse 17. And as it's her turn, and she's just taking the things not that she desires or wants, but what has been prescribed to her of Haggai, the Bible says when she went to the presence of the king, that the king loved Esther above all women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the crown royal, the royal crown upon her head, and made her queen instead of Vashti. So here's a man, Haggai, amen, who was serving the king in such a row of being a friend, of knowing what the king liked, of obtaining a bride for him, of making sure that she met the qualifications of the king, amen, and even, if you will, brought her unto the king, and she finds favor in the eyes of the king because she did everything that Haggai required. Amen, she didn't go on her own wants, her own desires, but whatever he required, she accepted because she knew that would be pleasing unto the king everybody doing all right someone say amen and so the climax though of our genesis 24 story we'll get all this tied together the climax of the genesis 24 story really happens in the verses that i read to you in my opinion because the bible states that rebecca has been found by the servant she has been qualified by the servant by asking him of drink and her not just giving him to drink but his camels also that was along with him. So he's qualified her as the bride but she cannot be led where she will not follow. She's found, she's qualified but she can't be led to Isaac. If she will not follow Isaac. I believe tonight it is for this very reason. 
that the apostle Paul urges the church at Corinth. He said, be ye followers of me. The apostle Paul is a man that is starting various churches. He is a man in many respects, a pastor, a leader among the churches. That's just pointing everybody towards the Lord. He's pointing everybody towards Christ. And so he speaks to the members of the church at Corinth, one of those in which he had been instrumental in helping and ministering at. He said, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. In other words, Paul was certain. He was certain that if they would follow him, then that they would be led to Christ because he was following the Lord. He was letting them to know if you allow me to be a point of mediation for you, I know who I'm following and if you'll follow me, I am pointing you to, I am trying to bring you as a church and as a bride to your groom. If you'll follow me, we'll make it there. Listen folks, at one time in Corinth, uh, which was home to about 12, at one time, 12 different pagan temples, it was known for its temple of Aphrodite, amen, which housed 1,000 priestesses that were employed as temple prostitutes. Yes, you heard me correct. Temple prostitutes. And the responsibility was to aid in the idolatrous worship of their foreign and pagan gods. These, these temple prostitutes would, would, if you will, exchange sexual favors. I'm not trying to be too graphic, but exchange sexual favors and sexual encounters at the temple. Amen. In order to attract worshipers from all across Rome to these pagan deities and pagan gods. It is even recorded in history that the sandals of these priestesses were studded in such a way that as they walked the dusty floor of Rome, it would leave an imprint in the dust that spelled out, Follow me as they walked along the path in the way, in the dust, trying to allure anybody that was behind them to follow them. It was in that type of environment, in that type of setting, amen, of a pull and a plea to follow someone to elude and an ungodly practice that Paul raises his voice and he says, follow me as I follow Christ because I know what the groom looks like. I know how Christ church ought to act. I know where Christ's bride ought to walk. I know the way to the wedding. Let somebody hear me tonight. Let me guard you. Let me ensure that you're acceptable for your wedding day. Yes, sir. Oh, someone say yes. He said to them in verse 2 of chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, he says, Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember in all things and keep, everybody say keep, keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. That's after he said, follow me for I follow Christ. He says, listen here, guys, follow me as I follow Christ. But he went on to say, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Can I tell you that Paul, as the elder servant of Genesis 24, as the keeper of the women of Esther 2, Paul arises in his generation and he's telling the church at Corinth, you don't need to alter the ordinance. I'm just telling you to keep the ordinance. You don't have to change the ordinance. You don't have to manufacture something different about the ordinance. You don't have to improve upon the ordinance. I'm just calling you to keep it. I'm calling you to guard it. I'm calling you to maintain it. Hallelujah. What has been given to you, don't alter it. Don't change it. Just keep it. 
If you keep it, you'll get to the groom. If you keep it, you'll be qualified for marriage. If you keep it, you'll be the bride of Christ. Amen. So just, just keep the ordinance. It was to provision the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God had provided for the nation of Israel. Amen. When they were hungry, when they wanted food, he supplied manna for them. Bread from heaven, if you will. The Bible says it is white as a coriander seed. Amen. The people would gather it. They would eat it. And the Bible says when it first fell, that its taste was as like wafers made with honey. That's what God provided. That's what God gave to them. That's what God gave to them in order to take care of their appetite and their need. But somewhere along the 40-year journey in the wilderness, amen, it seemed like a stretch eating manna every day. Manna got old. Amen. Manna, you know, I said what'd you have for lunch today, manna? What'd you have for lunch yesterday, manna? What are you going to have lunch for tomorrow, manna? Manna got old. Amen. It got old to them that the Israelites got tired of what God provided. They got tired of manna. It wasn't as satisfying to them as it had been when it first fell, when they were so hungry and wanting bread from heaven. Amen. It had the ability to sustain them when they first started their journey and it still had that same ability but they were just wanting something different. Someone say amen. And so the book of Numbers records this, that they now, somewhere in that 40, 40 year journey, they begin to take the manna that tasted like honey from God. And the Bible says they began to grind the manna, they began to beat the manna, they began to bake the manna. See, the manna that fell was no assembly required. The manna that came, it wasn't you mix this with this, let it set for five minutes, throw it in the oven. It was good for eating in the moment that it fell. And it had a good taste to it. But they got tired. They got familiar. They got used to that. And so Numbers says somewhere along the way they started to grind it, they started to beat it, they started to bake it, and they still kept complaining. And its taste went from being like wafers made with honey to the Bible says it tastes of fresh oil. And so they're complaining and bellyaching. We want something different. And so God says, all right, I'll fix you. I'll give you what you want. I'll give you flesh. That's what you want. Flesh to eat. I'll give you flesh to eat. Not going to give it to you for two days or four days. I'm going to give it, the Bible says, for an entire month. He gave them flesh to eat. Moses was worried. This is going to do, do, do away with all of our livestock, Lord. No. The Bible says he brought quail in from the sea. You can read it. It's almost as though there was almost like shin or knee-deep quail all over the ground to feed over a million people all over the ground. And they took of their desire of what they wanted and they ate it and they ate it. And the Bible says as the meat was still in their teeth that it was even coming out their nostrils. It was as though they were vomiting it out of their nostrils. And the Bible says the very thing they lusted after, the very thing that they wanted, it became loathsome to them. And the Bible says there was a plague that went out into the land. Amen. And it took the lives of many because somebody 
somebody says no I don't want it as it was handed to me I want to I want to mix it up a little bit I want to change that I want to grind that I want to beat that I want to bake that honey Paul says just keep the ordinance just keep the ordinance don't try to change it don't try to alter it don't try to make it different than what it was just keep just keep just This then is the epitaph upon those who were taken by the plague in Numbers 11 and verse 34. And he called the name of that place Kibaroth Hatavah because they buried the people that lusted. Kibaroth Hatavah means this literally, the graves of those that lusted. Wanting eyes, desiring something than what God had given to them. Am I doing okay? See, back in our Genesis 24 story, I forgot about them, they're there. There is a segment, in the verses I read to you, there's a segment of Rebecca's family, namely her brother and her mother. That it's like, Rebecca, you can go with that servant. You can go with that eldest servant. That's looking for a bride for Isaac, qualifying a bride for Isaac, and leading a bride to it. You can go with him. You just can't go right today. The voices of the mother and of the brother was this. You can go, but we want you to delay in your going. It's okay for her to go. It's just not okay for her to go today. Their plea with the servant is this. Just give us a few more days. They even throw this arbitrary number out. Just give us 10. Which many times when that's used in scripture, throwing out 10 days, it's unknown. It's just there for the purpose of it being unknown. It's not as though it's 10 actual days. Just, just give us a few days. Why? Because the mother and the brother had their own opinion of when, amen, Rebecca should accept this invitation, amen, to go and be Isaac's bride. I need to tell somebody today that there are those around you in your life that have their own opinion about you accepting the invitation of being the Lord's bride. And a lot of times they don't care if you have an eye that's flattering, that's thinking, you know what, maybe I'm going to go. Maybe I'm going to become a Christian. Maybe I'm going to do something for God. They're okay with you entertaining that as long as it's not today. It reminds me a little bit. It reminds me a little bit of whenever Egypt and Pharaoh were going through all the plagues, amen, that was bringing upon the nation of Egypt. The Bible says there was one plague that was brought upon them. It was frogs. It plagued that nation. It plagued Pharaoh's house. There were frogs in their house. There were frogs in their beds. There were frogs in their ovens and in their kneading troughs. And the Bible says Pharaoh was uncomfortable with all of this going on in his nation and in his household so he calls for Moses and he calls for Aaron and he says I want you old boys to entreat the Lord for me that he would take away these frogs and Moses and Aaron looked at Pharaoh and said Pharaoh when do you want us to take away the frogs when do you want God to do this deed for you and do you know that Pharaoh would respond to them and say do it tomorrow Do you hear what I'm saying? He could have immediately had relief, but something caused him to delay it until the next day. 
if I had stayed like this, he wanted it, but he just didn't want it today. Honey, this isn't my first rodeo. I've been around enough people that they want victory. They want deliverance. They want to live right. They want this, this, and this. But they just don't want it right now. They just don't want it this week. They just don't want it in this calendar year. But I come to tell somebody to you today, will you follow? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to break this down so you can track with me and so I'll do this now just in case you're not yet but the elder servant that's typified in Genesis 24 the keeper of the woman amen women that's typified in Esther 2 even the apostle Paul and the New Testament scripture and this is by no means please do not misunderstand me putting a feather in anybody's cap but what that means is you need a pastor in your life and whenever he's asking will you follow that man that's the man that knows what pleases the groom that's the man that's trying to get the bride amen ready and qualified purified for the purpose of meeting God will you follow this man a pastor someone say amen So here, favor. He wants. He wants it. He wants relief. He just doesn't want it today, not now. If I can say it like this, he wants it on his terms. He wants it on his terms. Rebecca's family wanted her to wed. They wanted her to relish in all the good goods that the servant had brought. Because whenever he came and paraded before her, he gave her gifts. He gave her bounty. He even spoke of the riches of his master. They no doubt seen all that, took all that in, and they wanted her to have all of that which was showcased before them. But they just wanted it on their terms. I want it all. I want the goosebump. I want the financial blessing. I want God to heal my body. I want, 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 want. But I want all of that on my terms. It don't have to happen today. But let me let me manufacture it in such a way it's on my terms. I'm not signing my name to any contract. I'm not giving in to any requirements or agreement. I want it on. I want it. All sounds good and great, but I want it on my terms. Here's the problem. The elder servant of Genesis 24, when he hears this type of talk, he tells them, don't hinder me in my journey. Woo. Don't hinder me in my search for a bride. Don't hinder me in me securing a bride for my master. Why? Listen to me. Because he's just as eager to get to the master as he is to take a bride to her. Somebody hear me? He's just as eager to get there as he is taking the bride to her. And so a delay in going even hinders him from getting back to his master. You know, the old song that used to be that we sing, Oh, we cry, wait a little longer, please Jesus. There are so many wandering out in sin. We cry, wait. And I, I'm all for seeing as many that can go, go. But do you understand that the waiting doesn't impact just those that are not coming, but it's those that are ready to go. 
a delay in that part creates a delay. Oh, somebody hear me. A delay for everyone else. But what it comes down to in my text tonight, please look at it. And I'm far from being done preaching, it seems like. It seems like in my text tonight, what it actually came down to, it wasn't the brother's decision. It wasn't the mother's decision, if you will. But what it really came back down to was Rebecca's choice. Amen. Honey, we need to know if you're going to go along with this servant. Because if you go along, listen to me tonight. If she chose to go along with that elder servant she by virtue of that agreeing to go along with him was agreeing then to be the bride of Isaac the only begotten son if she said I'll go with that man that meant she was going with where that man was leading if she said I'll go with that servant that meant I want Isaac as my husband You know what that means? Every time you fan the flames of whatever that preacher is preaching, whatever that he's teaching that's in the word of God, that's where I want to be. I want to put myself under the umbrella and the shadow of the truth that's coming from his mouth. When you say that, you're saying you want to be, I'm not calling myself God by no means, but what I'm trying to tell you, I've been put in a position as a friend, as a magistrate. I'm qualified. I'm making sure the purity is there, and I'm trying to lead everybody to their groom. I'm trying to, If you agree to go alone, especially if like Paul, I'm following Christ. If you agree to go alone, then you're agreeing to be the bride of Christ. To refuse the journey of that eldest servant of Genesis 24, for her to refuse the journey that he would take her on, or even the requirements that she tested him by, or he tested her by, could very mean very well mean jeopardizing meeting Isaac marrying Isaac you listening to me because here's the oldest servant commissioned by father Abraham you go get the wife go back to my kindred don't do it from the Canaanites no 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 you do it for those that are formed from us you go back to my what does the servant do he goes to a well does he not right he kneels down he has a conversation with God does he not Amen. Because he wants to do well by what he's doing. He's not doing this for limelight. He's doing this honoring his oath. He's doing this honoring his oath. And he's sitting there. God, whatever woman it is, God, that's going to be pure, that's going to be qualified to be Isaac's bride. He says, I pray that whenever she comes out, to this well, and I ask her of drink that she doesn't only give me to drink from her water pot, but without me saying a word, she says, I'll get water for your camels also. He had several camels with him. They had been on quite a long journey. I knew the fact one time it escapes me, but they drink gallons of water. It would cause varied trips that she had to make down into the well. In order to get enough water to take care of his camels. He comes to the lady. He asks of her to drink. She drops it. And without him saying a word. She says I'll water your camels also. You know what he's seeing very simply in that. Here's a lady that's willing not just to do what's required. But she's willing to go the extra mile. 
What are you saying, Brother McGee? I'm saying what we're looking for in the bride tonight. It's just not a one-mile person, but a two-mile person. Not just what required person, but because I want to person. Not just because I have to, but I will also type. But if she refused that, had she refused that, she wouldn't even be considered for taking the journey or for having Isaac as her groom. Now, folks, listen to me. The servant of Genesis 24 has done everything he has known to do. He has shown her, as I said, all of the, everything that would be hers by becoming the bride of Isaac. Those camels was, had the burden of much of the richness of Isaac upon them that she could behold with her eyes and feel with her hands. He has shown her, showcased, if you will, all those things that would be hers if she would become the bride of Isaac. The Bible says in Genesis 24 and verse 10 that he had all the goods of his master in his hands. He's done everything he knew to do. He's parading around looking for a bride with all the goods of the groom. In his hands. I don't know how many times I try to break back the curtain here in services and show you the goods of your groom. I don't know how many times I try to push back the curtain in the prayer room and show you the goods of your groom. So I'm coming prating around looking for and qualifying the bride and I'm showing you everything that's yours if you'll just accept the journey for becoming his bride. He highlights all the riches, all the riches of Father Abraham. Said that Abraham has become great. Look at it. You look at it in verse 35. That he has flocks, herds, silver, gold, men servants, maid servants, camels, asses. And then he makes the statement. And it all belongs to his son Isaac, which I want you to be the bride of. See, the great God of heaven gave all that he had to Christ Jesus. The great God of heaven. Amen. Since God, or since Jesus came from God and went to God. It was all his to begin with. He had it all. But he's looking for a bride that he can bestow what he has upon her. And so whenever the elder servant makes the statement that everything that Abraham has belongs to his son, then by implication he was saying, and it belongs to you, Rebecca, if you accept this invitation. Someone say glory. Podcast world, hear me today. Podcast world, hear me today. Society, hear me today. The role of the pastor has fallen on hard times. The respect isn't near what it had once been. I'm just speaking globally here right now. And yes, many pastors have fallen, if you will, prey to acting or being involved with matters that are less than respectable too. And I know that colors then some bad, dark hues, if you will, upon the pastoral ship or the row of a pastor. But there are times, listen to me well, there are times pastors are viewed as the enemy. 
They are seen as the enforcers, if you will, of the justice of God's word. There are lives that are assumed sometimes. They think sometimes a pastor's life is so far removed from real life that they just don't understand the dynamics of life at all. It seems like all they do is teach and all they do is preach. Amen. Things from the word of God that just rubs me wrong. That just is a little bit difficult. Folks, I'm here to tell you tonight, if it was okay, and everybody deemed it was okay for David being a a shepherd to kill the lion and kill the bear. Amen. Because they had longing eyes for one of the sheep in his fold. But woe is David if he'd ever take the crooked end of a shepherd's staff and put it around his lamb's neck to pull it in close for the same reason that they had wondering eyes. Folks, I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you that that I know that makes us uncomfortable and that sometimes is borderline embarrassing and we might ask is it really all that necessary? Hear me podcast world. Hear me podcast world. Is it all that necessary? I'll tell you what the apostle Paul said. Amen. The one that said follow me as I follow Christ. Colossians 1.28 says this. Whom? He's speaking of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ we preach. Warning, every man, and teaching every man in all wisdom that we, the ministers, may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Why? Because they are betrothed to Christ. And wedding day has not happened as yet. Is it necessary? You bet your bottom dollar it's necessary for this little 6'2 preacher weighing a little under 200 pounds to embrace this pulpit and scream at times from the top of my lungs and it makes you feel uncomfortable and it makes you cringe and it makes you wonder is it really all that it is all that will you follow the man because the man's trying to take you to the groom the man's trying to purify the man's trying to qualify the man's just trying to if you will be true to the oath that's upon his life Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, look at this. He says, therefore, I'll tell you why the therefore is there. The verses prior to this one, he basically tells the church of Thessalonica, you have been chosen to be his. You've been chosen to be the Lord's. You've been chosen. And so he says, therefore, since you've been chosen to be the Lord's, therefore, brethren, stand fast. And hold the traditions which ye have been taught whether by word or epistle. He says, you've been chosen to be his. You have been chosen to be the bride. You're not married yet, but you've been chosen to be the bride. So you need to stand fast according to the traditions you've been taught by our word or by the epistle. Why? Because he's given you the manual, amen, of expectation, the manual, if you will, of what he's looking for in a wife. Have you ever sat down and done that before you got married? Those even maybe not married yet? These are the things that I look for in a, in a mate. And you start to view everybody as possibilities through the eyes of your expectations. 
He says, you hope fast. Stand fast concerning traditions. Is it necessary? It is necessary. He said in chapter 3 and verse 6 of that same book of 2 Thessalonians. He says now, he's speaking of the ministry. We command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves. That you withdraw yourselves from every brother, every brother, every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which ye received of us. What some of those friends' responsibility was in Jewish culture and other cultures. This is what the groom likes. This is what he fancies. And so if you follow this prescribed thing, just like Esther, you're going to be in an elevated place in his eyes. You're going to stand out among all the others. If you just do what Haggai, the keeper of the women, require, amen, you're not just going to find pleasure with Haggai, the keeper of the women. You're going to find pleasure with the king. Honey, I don't know one individual here that wouldn't want to find pleasure with the king. Honey, I'm looking someday to meet the king of kings and the Lord of lords face to face. And yes, I know I've been saved by grace, but Bible says my works are also going to carry me and follow me into eternity. That's his word. In the book of Revelation, that's his word. So if I can say it then tonight, i got to hurry. For the sake of the eldest servant of Genesis 24, for the sake of the keeper of the women for Esther 2, for the sake of the Apostle Paul of the New Testament Scripture, and for that matter, for the sake of every pastor that's trying to find the bride, qualify the bride, and lead the bride to the groom. My question, will you go with these men? Will you go with these men? Will you submit to their words, which are not their own words, but the words of the Lord, the one who has commissioned them? Will you trust their voice and their warnings as they have the vantage point as a watchman on the wall that can see further? than what we can see with our feet planted at the base of the wall. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, I have a lot of scripture and that's good. That's a tradition I speak to you whether by word or by epistle. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse number 1, this is the Apostle Paul again. He said, would to God that ye could bear with me, me a little in my folly and indeed bear with me. Paul's not, when he talks about fall, he's not talking about mistake. He's not talking about being hilarious. He's not talking about any of this. What he's dealing with is this. Paul wants him to bear a little bit in his folly, which is basically this. This is what Paul considered to be his folly. That was having to take time out to talk about himself because the culture and the dynamics of this time is that there was a lot of people, because of Paul's spreading the gospel message, there was a lot of people that were given skewed talks about who Paul was, what he was doing. There were false prophets and false teachers that were rising about the legitimacy of what Paul had to say. And so when he said, bear with me a little bit in my folly, Brother Fred, he didn't like to talk about himself. But the times dictated that he must. And so he says, bear me a little bit as I talk here about who I am because everybody else is leaning in on having a voice about me and nobody's going to say anything about me but me. says all they got is opinions but I know 
So he says, so bear with me a little bit in my folly. He says in verse number two, look at it now. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused the betrothal. The, you, two, one, husband. The church. I have taken the church and espoused her to one husband. One groom. That I may present you. See, here's his oath. Here's his responsibilities filled on the shores. That I might present you as a chaste, pure virgin to Christ. For three, verse three. But I fear. Lest any man, at least, least by any means as the serpent. He goes back all the way to Genesis. As the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility. So your minds here in the New Testament church have been corrupted. From the simplicity that is in Christ. By what? The false prophets and the false teachers. And those that were trying to slander and throw shadow upon the legitimacy of the apostle Paul. The legitimacy of their pastor. Paul says, I'm jealous for you. Because I'm afraid. That you're going to fall away from Christ, the one husband that I've espoused you to. I'm afraid and I'm jealous because I'm thinking that you're not going to be willing to make the journey to him. You might be beguiled by subtlety. You might be corrupted by the voices. And let me tell you today, if there's ever a time that there's a multiplicity of voices, there are. It comes from society. It comes from television. It comes from social, social media. It comes from other churches. It comes from cults. It comes from pseudo-religions. Look what he says though, verse 4. He says, for if he, here it is, those voices, for if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. You know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, I'm jealous, and at the same time, with a godly jealousy, mind you, and I am fearful that the church who's supposed to be the bride of the groom, that I'm trying to get to the groom, is tolerating to bear with. They're tolerating some things they shouldn't tolerate. No, no, no. What? They're trying to grind something down. They're trying to bake the manna. They're trying to, they're, 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 they're not keeping the ordinance. They're tolerating. Someone say Amen. What it was is this. He was fearful that they were having wandering eyes rather than being true to the one true husband groom that they were espoused to. He was afraid they were having wandering eyes. Honey, let me tell you right now. If you are engaged to be married and the other one that you're engaged to be married to has wandering eyes for somebody else of the opposite sex, you might as well get the engagement ring back and mark the date off the calendar. And so goes the thing with our relationship with God. He doesn't want anybody with with wondering eyes. He does not tolerate unfaithfulness. He does not tolerate. Will you go? Am I okay? This might not be for anybody. It might not be for anyone here, but I'm glad you're preaching with me. Here's what, here's what Ezekiel, 
Here's what Ezekiel was up against. I'm sorry. I'm going on a little long here tonight, but it's overtime. Woo. March Madness is coming up. Ah. He said, never heard anybody get down on overtime, you know. Ezekiel 33, here's what Ezekiel the prophet was dealing with. The pastor, the prophet, if you will, of his generation. This is what the Lord said. And they, speaking to the people that he was trying to lead, the people he was trying to, if you will, purify, qualify on the way to the groom, and they come unto thee as a people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people. And they hear thy words, prophet, but they will not do them. For with their mouth, they shew much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. What is covetousness? Desiring what belongs to another. Hello? What? They're showing a lot of love, but their heart is going after something that belongs. They're not keeping with the ordinance being given to them. They're desiring something beyond what they have. In essence, almost to say that what I can receive through my union with my groom is not good enough. Look at now, verse 32. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. Hear here was poor prophet Ezekiel. Will you go with the man? They were sitting there before him as God's people. But they were hearing what he was saying. But they weren't about to do what he said. They said, he has such a pretty voice. Isn't that sweet? That's very nice to hear. It's almost that voice is his instrument. voice is his instrument if I say it like this the prophet's words the ones that they should have went with were just something to be entertained by a lovely song an accomplished musician rather than to be followed or the instructions if you will of somebody that knew what the groom was looking for my question tonight to the church to each of us individually is Will you go with this man, the elder servant, the keeper of the women, the apostle Paul, the pastors of today's society? Will you go with them? The Bible says in verse 66 of Genesis 24, there's nothing like landed somewhere close where you started. Genesis 24 and verse 66, look at this. Leading up to these verses of scripture, Rebecca did go with the servant. She makes the journey. She sees in a dis distance a man that's in the field. She asks the servant, See, she doesn't, doesn't even know the whole ins and outs of all. She asked the servant, who is that man? Whew. He says, that's my master. In other words, he's letting her know, that's your groom. The Bible says that she veiled herself. She jumped off her camel. <laughs> and as they are approaching, notice, Rebecca doesn't go and start conversation right away with Isaac. No. Someone else has a conversation before Rebecca has a conversation with Isaac. The Bible says in verse 66, and the servant, the one that sought for the bride, the one that qualified the bride, the one that's bringing the bride to the groom, the servant told Isaac all things he had done. Verse 67, and Isaac brought her. Now who? Rebecca. 
into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah and she became his wife. And he loved her and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Can I tell you that the servant had words with Isaac before Sarah ever did and the servant told Isaac his venture for securing the bride, qualifying, attesting to her purity, attesting to her purity, even giving, if you will, the thumbs up on her willingness to go the extra mile. Ultimately, her compliance to go with him as the servant bringing her unto the groom again before there's any interaction between Rebecca and Isaac. And you understand with me. I'll try to bring it so you stand comfortable. You stand and you're just like, oh, we're getting to the end. Before there's any interaction between Rebecca and Isaac, there's interaction between the servant and his master. And it's only after the conversation between the servant and Isaac that Rebecca is brought into the tent. And she that is to be the bride becomes the wife of Isaac. Something else about these friends and these magistrates that guarded the purity of the bride and all these things. These friends of the bridegroom, of course, yes, were to guard the bride, but also cultures that had these rows of these friends of the bridegroom. Listen to me very closely here, please. Cultures that had these rows <clears throat> to the bridegroom, being friends of the bridegroom, say this, that it was upon the testimony of the friend that the bridegroom chose his bride. Do you hear what I'm saying? It was upon the testimony of the friend. Why? Because the friend, the servant, the keeper, the women, all of them are going to give a testimony concerning the purity of the bride. No, no, no. Listen to me. It is implanted in our Bibles of Hebrews 13 and verse number 17. Obey them that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account. That they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Will you go with this man? Podcast audience that have said under a gazillion different pastors out there, will you go with your man of God? Listen. And I'll tell you this, flat-footed, not embarrassed to say this. I can no way save you. I can no way redeem you. And I'd never be so pompous to even believe, teach, or preach because it's unbiblical that I could do those things. But I can tell you this. I will testify about you. Whether she was pure according to the standards of the tradition that was spoken by word and epistle, whether she stood fast to that. I will be able to attest to whether my opinion as the oath that was been placed upon me is accepting the call of God upon my life as a pastor. I will be able to attest to the fact whether I believe, as Rebecca did, you accepted the gifts that I brought that was his, or whether you had the attitude that you were willing to go the extra mile. Will you go with this man? Something that 
I say disturbing, but it isn't really the proper word. It's, it's weighty. The servant had already considered what I'm about ready to tell you before he ever went on his journey to secure the bride. He already considered this. He even relays that he already considered this. You can read it in verse 39 of Genesis 24. And this is what, this is what he considered, Brother Alex Macy, considered this. He said, I asked the question, what if the woman will not follow me? He already pondered it before he went searching. He already pondered it before he thought about the purification. He already pondered it about all of that before he ever thought about the journey he had to take in order to get her there. He already pondered pre-adventure. What if the woman will not follow me? Abraham had already answered his question in verse number 8. He said, then you will be clear from this oath of finding, qualifying, and leading and presenting a bride. You'll be free of that oath. Let's bow our heads all across this place tonight. Let's bow our heads all across this place tonight. I will tell you quite frankly tonight. I would rather stand among the masses that are here tonight and others that would follow when the Lord comes and give account rather than to be clear of the oath of my pastoralship on my days upon this earth because they did not choose to follow. You hearing me? Will you follow that man? He doesn't have interest things in mind for you. He is not trying to make, if you will, if you pose it, life difficult for you. No. He just knows the tendencies, the likes. He knows the heart of the groom. And he just wants you to be best equipped to meet him. These altars are open tonight. Will you follow this man? Please understand, I, I do not have my own row per se in view here, but I have pastors all across America, people, missionaries all across America that serve in these capacities of ministries where they're trying to get their portion, if you will, of the bride to the groom. I'm just asking tonight, will you follow the man? The brother and the mother couldn't decide it for her, although they really would like to delay it. But Rebecca said those simple three little words. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.